Hosea is, he said, this is the word of the Lord, and I'm bringing you the charge that I bring against you. These are, these are your charges. We have seen that in this world there can be trumped up charges, there can be false charges, there can be accurate charges. When God brings charges, there is no defense to them. I mean, this is, this is God bringing charges against Israel, and he raised up Hosea, and he said, this is the message I want you to give them. And he begins by saying, these are my charges against you. These are my charges to you. And you notice what his charges are. At the end of verse 1, he doesn't waste any time. He says, there is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. So he gives three charges. First of all, there is no truth. There is no faithfulness. There is no trustworthiness. There... They are covered with falsehood. The words may be fair. The words may be pleasing to the ears. But there is no truth. Truth has been trodden underfoot. And he says, the people don't enjoy truth. They don't want truth. And we read later on in chapter 4... He says, as the people, so are the priests. The people had no desire for truth, and the priests had no desire for truth. They they didn't desire truth. They desired what was pleasing to their ears. They desired what made them feel good. They desired anything but truth. So his first charge against them is there is a disloyalty to the covenant that God made with them. And this abandoning of truth, as we will see, always brings chastisement and even condemnation unless it brings to repentance. And God's judgment is always to that end. But... First of all, he says there is no truth. Then he says there is no mercy. There is no kindness. There is no gentleness of mind. They are all hardened, restrained. Their their God-given empathy and compassion There is no compassion. They don't pity anyone. They don't relieve and help anyone. There is no love. There is no mercy. And and we give you some references later in uh, the book of Hosea. We're not going to take the time. Maybe in your studies tonight you can go into it. But where he illustrates, these are the initial charges Then as a prosecuting attorney, he's going to come back through the book of Hosea and say, here's why I say there is no truth. And he gives illustrations of it. 
Here's why I say there is no mercy. There is no compassion. And then his third is, there is no knowledge of God in the land. It's just not, he's not talking about knowing about God. He says there is no intimate knowledge. There's no experiential, active knowledge. They don't really know God. There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And here he says in verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And it's a reference back. There is no knowledge of God. You don't know God. And, and honestly, this is the foundational point. Because they don't know God, there is no truth and there is no mercy. And, and you can mark that down. When there is a rejection of God, there will be a loss of truth and a loss of mercy. You've probably thought over the last several years, how did our nation ever get to this point? How did we ever come to this point? We got to this point because we said we don't need God and we don't have a knowledge of God. We don't really have an intimate, experiential walk with God. And because of that, when God disappears, truth disappears, and mercy disappears. And, and you can see throughout our land that that, that is absolutely true as we, as we look at this. Notice he went on, and notice verse 2. He lists five of the ten commandments that they had violated. Because there is no truth, there is no mercy, there is no knowledge of God by swearing and lying and killing and stealing and commit adultery. They break all restraint. And isn't that what we as people, we want to throw off all restraint. We think freedom is the privilege to do whatever I want. That, that is bondage. We become slaves to our own appetites. Liberty is the power to do what is right. And he said, they swear and lie and kill and steal and commit adultery. They break all restraint. The parameters God put up for mankind were not put up because God thought, what are we going to have these people do? Well, let's give them some commands of what not to do. Let's make life miserable for them. No, all of those were expressions of love. And God said, your life will be much better if you walk within the parameters. These are the guardrails of life, so to speak. And yet he he raised up those commands to also show us that we can't keep the law. And he raised up those commands to show us we need Christ. And so he, um, 
he emphasizes here, because there is no knowledge of God, truth perishes, mercy is abandoned, and there is no fear of God. Proverbs 9 and verse 10 says, true wisdom begins with the knowledge of God. True wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And through Hosea, God said, you will think that you have everything because I have blessed you and I brought you out of the land of bondage and I have blessed you and you will then forget me. So we forget God. He's put off to the side. And then you will forsake me. It's not just forgetting him. It's turning your back on his ways. And you will forsake me and run after other gods and other lovers just like Hosea's wife Gomer did. She was blessed. She was provided for. She was loved. She took it for granted. She forsook Hosea's love. She chased after other lovers that could not satisfy. And she broke the very heart of Hosea, which is a picture of God loving us. We forsake him. We go our own way. We chase after other loves. We establish these idols, the idols of our heart, and, and we find that, honestly, none of them satisfy. We sang earlier this morning, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. <clears throat> you know, as you live, you begin to see there are many things that we think, oh, man, this will, this will make me happy. And there's a sense of temporary happiness, but everything, everything sours or ends. I mean, no matter what, what goodness you have in life, it's a gift of God, but it is not the end. God wants to bring us to the point where we realize these are gifts of God. And rather than chase after the gifts or value the gifts and try to hang on to the gifts, we need to love the giver. And so he brought these charges and, and foundational to them is there is no knowledge of God. You don't know God is what he's saying. And then in the book of Hosea, not only did he bring the charges, but he brought the verdict. And he said, divine judgment is coming. The fruit of sin is divine judgment. God's anger is never motivated by selfishness or fury. It's never sinful. It's never misdirected. It's never in maliceness. 
It is grounded in his character. And what is his character? His character is holiness. And so sin attacks the very character of God. Sin attacks God. So his anger and his wrath is directed towards sin as opposed to his character, his nature, his holiness. People say, well, I, I don't have a God of anger. Well, God's anger is not like man's anger or mankind's anger. Our anger can be filled of vindictiveness it can be malicious. It can be um, improper in the sense that it often is unjust. God's wrath is because of His holiness. And people often think, well, you know, you're in the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament is a God of wrath. But the New Testament, we're in the grace age. The New Testament is a God of love. Well, you can't have love without wrath. If you, if you love a garden and plants, you have to hate weeds. And it's evident most of us didn't have a whole lot of hate for weeds because the gardens are overgrown this time of year, right? I tell Marilyn there's two times I love looking at the garden. In the spring when we till it and it's just, it's perfect. And in the fall when you till it again and it's just perfect. There's not a weed in it, you know what I'm saying? But in order to love green beans and tomatoes, you have to despise the weeds. If you don't, it'll be overgrown. God is a God of love and God is a God of wrath. And He brings judgment. And He raised up Hosea, and we're going to see Hosea, of course, is in the Old Testament, but he raised up Hosea to emphasize sin, judgment, and the love of God. And we'll get to that in just a moment. And Hosea was bringing these charges. You have no love. You have no mercy. You have no knowledge of God. You violated all these five commands that he gave you as well as others. You've gone after other lovers. And now this is the judgment that is coming upon you. And he's emphasizing that God's judgment would descend in the form of, to the Israelites, infertility and military invasion and exile. And Hosea stressed the fact that God was sending judgments upon the Israelites and he would do it matching this judgment with their offenses. In the New Testament, we read in Galatians chapter 6. Turn there if you would. Galatians chapter 6. And 
verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will reap of the flesh corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will reap of the Spirit life everlasting. So, it's a basic principle of sowing and reaping. You sow no mercy, no love, and no God. And he said, you are going to reap some adverse consequences. But if you sow to the Spirit, obedience to the Spirit, you will reap the fruit of the Spirit. He said, it, it's a basic principle of God that, that he spells out. And, and so God brings the charges and he brings them against, and, and Hosea then goes on and spells out the charges against Israel and then says, because of these, these are the things that are going to happen. This is why your nation is falling apart. This is why you are facing all of these adversities. And if the book of Hosea ended there, it'd be a pretty dismal book. But he goes on and he affirms God's love to the children of Israel. And he shows that God is forgiving and that God will work in their hearts as they repent and he will bring restoration and he shows God's amazing love. The theme of Hosea is God's amazing love. Now, so much for God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath. Because the theme of Hosea is God's amazing, pursuing, enduring love. That in the midst of no truth and no mercy and no knowledge of God, God comes to them and says, If you return to me, if you repent, you went away from God you sought after your own lovers and your own things, but he says, if you return, repent means to turn. If you return to me, I will have mercy. I mean, there was no reason God should have. There is no reason God should have forgiven. There is no reason every one of us would have said to Hosea, don't take her back. Don't go after her, but Hosea was portraying the love of God and he allured her and won her heart back and, and confirmed his love to her. Hosea teaches us that true love will triumph over unfaithfulness, although unfaithfulness inevitably results in discipline and chastening. And unfaithfulness to God's light and God's love unquestionably leads to misery and judgment. God in His mercy and His love extends to us 
the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have been the ones with no truth. We we don't love truth. We have been the ones with no mercy. We have been the ones with no knowledge of God. We we know about God, but to, to really know and walk with Him, we have been the ones, and and we deserve complete separation and annihilation from Him, but He is willing to forgive. And it's His amazing love. And the forgiveness requires repentance. So, We emphasize through the book of Hosea, and you'll get into more of the details, the promises that God gave to Israel through Hosea. You'll look at those tonight, the I will, I'll do all these things, he says. It's all an expression of his love. But I want to make application to us and where we live from the book of Hosea. Number one, God is judging America. We, we have forsaken God, generally speaking, as a nation. In 1962 and 1963, we said, we don't, need, we don't need prayer and we don't need the Bible in our schools. And you know what? God says, okay, have it your way. Tell me, are our schools better today than they were in 1962? In 1962 and 1963, I loaded a bus at my school They took us to our church and dropped us off. And this is during a school day. It was called release time classes. They took us to a church to be taught, the church of your choice, to be taught the Word of God. I know I'm old, but I'm not that old. That isn't that long ago. You try that today. It's not, just, it's not just schools. By a nation, we've said. We've said as a nation, separation of church and state. Don't you be bringing God into our government. I don't have the time to go into it, but again, my standing, I'll give all the money I have to anybody that can show me the separation of church and state in the U.S. Constitution. Okay, it's not there. And the separation of church and state originated with Thomas Jefferson writing a letter to the Danbury Baptists because they were concerned that the government was going to establish a state religion. And and Thomas Jefferson wrote them and said, no. There is a line of separation between church and state to separate the church or the state from ever interfering with the church. It's the First Amendment. 
But we as a nation have said, nope, can't have that, and, and have carried it on. And so we have said, God, no, you're not a part of this anymore. Tony Evans, in his book, Kingdom Politics, said, to the, to the degree that authorities are aligned with God's person and his policies is to that degree that the nation experiences unity, justice, and liberty. Conversely, to the, to the degree that these various authorities are unaligned with God's person and his policies is to that degree that chaos will consume order. Would you say our nation has more chaos or order today? It's in direct relation. He said, as authorities align with God's persons and his principles, it brings, what did he say, unity, justice, and liberty. What do you see vanishing in our land today? This is exactly like Hosea. God said, you didn't want anything to do with me, so fine. And in, in God's program, famine, war, and disease are judgments that he uses over and over again. Tony Evans went on to say, Without God's rule and perspective both to guide and govern, a nation will devolve into chaos and anarchy. It will become an oppressive society simultaneously adhering to a freedom that has no standards. Notice, will dissolve into chaos and anarchy. You go to many of our cities and it is anarchy. Why? It's a judgment of God. God says, if you walk with me, I will be your shepherd. I will walk with you. But he says, if you don't, you're on your own. G.K. Chesterton said, when men stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. When men stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. They believe men can get pregnant. They believe you can change your gender. They believe the earth is flat. I could go on and on to the nonsense. And how did all this come about? When people don't believe in God, they believe in anything. Honestly, you've, you've verbalized or at least you've thought it. Like, how, how can people even think this? How can, how can people think, as a human being, I'm a cat? I'd pick a lot different things than a cat if I was going to be something different. I mean, how did we get here? When you remove the anchor, when you remove the purpose, when you remove the standard of life, God, 
You are swept with every wind of persuasion and feeling and thought. And, and, and as I see this and read this quote of Chesterton, it, it just puts meaning and explanation to the society that we live in. Secondly, only returning to God will save America. I believe we ought to vote. I vote. I believe we ought to do what we can to preserve our liberties and things. But and anything that does not bring us back to the knowledge of God, does not bring us back to God, will not make a difference. And... As in Hosea's day, and Hosea knew it, most people do not want to change and turn back to God because God puts parameters on our life for our good and His glory, but we don't, we want to control our own life. We want to do our own thing. We know what's best. God, you say marriage is between one man and one woman. Ah, we don't believe that anymore. We believe it could be anything in any way you want it. And God did that for our own good. God did that for His glory. But only returning to God and only returning to His ways will save America. And honestly... Most people in America don't want to return to God. But the good news is, I can personally repent. I can make sure I know God in a personal walk with Him. I can make sure that truth is the standard of my life. I can make sure that I am a person of love and mercy. In Hebrews chapter 10, not Hebrews, Hosea, turn to Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12. Hosea 10, 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. What did he say? In the midst of the conditions that are very much like what we live in, break up the fallow ground, the ground that you've allowed waste in your life. Break up that fallow ground and sow righteousness. The time is come to what? Seek the Lord. Nobody can stop me or you from seeking the Lord. They can throw you into prison, but they can't stop you from seeking the Lord. They can kill you, but they can't stop you from seeking the Lord. They can threaten you, but they can't stop you from seeking the Lord. I am the only one that stops me from seeking the Lord. And Hosea said to them, The time has come to seek the Lord. Those areas of your life that you've been wasting and investing in nothing that will be of eternal value, those areas, 
You need to plow those up and you need to start sowing righteousness. And he said, you will reap mercy. We'll look at, in a few weeks, another prophet, Micah chapter 8, or Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. What does God require of you? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Nobody can stop you from doing that. I, I would love to see a revival in America and the world of wholesale turning to God. And we ought to pray to that end and work to that end. But whether it comes or not, nobody can stop me from drawing near to God. That's me. And I'm either going to pursue knowing God and walking in truth and being a person of God's mercy, or I'm just going to be swept along with everyone else. Turn to Hosea chapter 14. Hosea chapter 14. And notice how this book ends, verse 9. Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Notice what he, he, he sums this up after he's telling them, If you return to me, I will bless you. I will minister. I will make you a fruitful vine. And he's emphasizing his unfailing love. But he closes the book by saying, I will heal your apostasy. I will love you freely in verse 4. And then he says, who is wise? Let him know that God's ways are perfect. And let him return to God's ways and value God's unfailing love. It is time. It is time for us to seek the Lord. Not not to add him on to our life. He he doesn't want to be the co-pilot. God isn't my co-pilot. God wants to be the pilot. He's the one that's in charge. And when when I as an individual pursue God and seek God and know Him and am committed to truth and to stand for truth and to show forth mercy, then everything will be all right in our life. And in the midst of a world that is full of chaos and confusion because we put away God and, and the issue is not, the issue is not 62 and 63 what happened. The issue is as beings, individuals, we have put away God. We haven't wanted God. I could list many other reasons why the judgment of God is on our land. But the reality is, is because we've rejected God's ways. And in the midst of being in a land, experiencing the judgment of God that 
unless we repent, will get progressively worse. In the midst of that, we can have joy and peace because of our walk with God. When we commit to seeking Him, and why does God shake all these things in our life? Why are all these things happening, our economy blowing up and all these things happening? God's trying to get us to the point that all that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. What is it that that really thrills your soul? You know, the things, I look back over my life and, and the things that, uh, man, I, I can remember as, as a kid, I got my driver's license and I wanted a motorcycle. I wanted a motorcycle. My mom and dad would not let my three older brothers ever get a motorcycle. And I kept hounding them and I was the youngest, so I was spoiled. So I got to buy a motorcycle. I saved money. Worked hard, and boy, that, and that day I walked to the motorcycle dealer, you know. Dad wasn't going to take me to go get it. I walked to the motorcycle, and man, as I pushed that thing out, and I kick-started, man, this is living. I won't tell you what it was, because you'll really laugh then. It was a Yamaha 100 Enduro. But man, I was at the top of the world. You know what? Every one of us have had things like that. And it's all gone. And you look back and you laugh about it. Or you tell others and they laugh. See, I gave you that illustration, right? It's only Jesus that satisfies. And everything else will fall apart, will break down, will disappear, and if we love it, will bring the judgment of God. But in His unfailing love, God says, if you'll come back to Me and if you'll seek Me with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, I will be a Father unto you. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would help us to see your heart of love. And Lord, help us to see that you bring judgment to try to turn us to you, to try to get us to leave that which is vanity to come to you. And Lord, I am undeserving of of your love. I am undeserving of you allowing me to repent and come back to you. And Lord, I, I just pray that you would help us to see that it's not our deservedness, but it's your love that allows us to be restored to you. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to be good repenters. 
to turn back to you. Our hearts are prone to go the wrong way. Lord, help us to be good repenters, to come back to you and to know that he that comes to you, you will not turn away. Lord, I pray that we'd break up our fallow ground and sow righteousness so that we may reap mercy. Lord, it is time, and help us to see it. It is time to seek the Lord. And may we do that with all our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.